I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning to you, Steve Wheeler. Uh, many of you have met Steve and Coral. They've been about a part of our church now for about a year and a half, and their children, uh, Hannah and Nathan, have been here as well. Uh, but some of you may not know Steve's background. Steve went to Master's College, a Master's Seminary, and for about 10 years was on the staff of Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur is, and he was involved in their ministry there. And then uh, God has led him to be involved in a mission agency called Whitefields. And this particular mission, it's an international work that's involved in training national pastors to be more effective in church planning and ministry in their own country. And it's uh, similar to what I've had the opportunity to do traveling with Americo Saavedra and Apoyo to be involved in training of pastors, national pastors who don't have the opportunity to get that kind of education to equip them to better serve in the harvest. And it's a great ministry. And we're pleased to have Steve's going to share today. He's going to continue in our study in Ruth for us. And it's a good message. And I know you'll look forward to hearing it as well. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Rick. It's a privilege to be with you this morning and to open God's Word together to the book of Ruth. That song that um, Keith Getty wrote that uh, Pastor Dan just sang really uh, sets us up for this message of the kinsman redeemer. As uh, you recognize in the Old Testament, all of those events and stories and the, the structure that was set up there <clears throat> was leading us and giving to us a picture of Jesus Christ. It was pointing us to the redemption that was to come. The sovereign creator of the universe has developed a structure in the way that he created the world so that he could use that creation, those physical elements of the creation to reveal His infinite attributes and His nature and the relationships that He has to our finite minds. I remember a young girl in my church in California, three years old, asked her mom, she said, does the Holy Spirit have a body? Well, the mom responded, well, no. She said, well, is He floppy? There are so many spiritual communications and things that God is trying to reveal about Himself that are just impossible for our finite minds to grasp. And so He has created the world around us, indeed the universe. And, and He uses those illustrations and those analogies to teach us truths about Himself. And this portrait of the family relationship of Boaz to Ruth illustrates the future redemption that was to come and was to be accomplished by Jesus Christ. And that indeed draws us into God's family. As we explore this story and the unfolding in the book of Ruth, we're going to see five comparisons this morning to the redemption of sinners by Jesus Christ. It is incredible as we begin to realize that the whole Old Testament unfolds for us to be able to understand what Jesus was coming to earth to do. When my own son was about three years old, my oldest son, Joshua, I was reading to him a book about creation. And it was a children's picture book and it had beautiful pictures and we were reading about creation. At three years old, bedtime, we had one of those conversations where he said to me, Daddy, Daddy, how did God create the world if He was a baby? I was a young seminary student at the time and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Dad, Jesus is God and He must have created the world right when He was a baby so there was a world to live in. I said, well, no. Jesus didn't come to earth 
until way after the earth was created. He says, read that to me. <laughs> this is just a way for you to delay bedtime. <laughs> I said, well, we'd have to go over to the book of Luke to read that. He doesn't come until the New Testament. I said, that's what you call the incarnation. My little three-year-old son said, what, what is an incarnation? I said, well, let me explain that. Yes, where Jesus, God, became a man. And so we find that much time in history has taken place in the Old Testament to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And this story of Ruth, as we explored, we're going to see these comparisons of the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, in the story of Ruth to Jesus Christ and the work that He is going to accomplish for sinners. The first comparison that we find is that we must see a need for a Redeemer. Last week, Pastor Rick expressed to us so clearly and so plainly in the beginning of this story in the first two chapters, verse 1 or verse 21 of chapter 1 sort of summarizes that when Ruth says, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She acknowledges God working in her life. And even those difficulties and those trials were brought by God. Dan mentioned in his prayer the family that lost two loved ones over the weekend. Some of you have events and things that have happened in your lives. We all have difficulties and trials and things that that bring us to a humbling position. And last week we summarized the reality that for Naomi, hope was lost. Her womb was empty. Her husband had died. Her sons had died. She had no way of supporting herself. And in fact, if you look at those first two chapters, you recognize that it was Ruth that was out gleaning in the field. I recognize that Naomi was apparently at such a hopeless position that she did not even have the strength and the physical ability to go out and glean herself. She was utterly and completely dependent. It's a position of humility. But God was at work using those difficulties and using those events to put Naomi exactly where she could be so that she would turn her focus and look somewhere else. Like Ruth, unregenerate sinners are viewed as helpless. We're spiritually dead. And we're incapable of doing anything to help ourselves. God uses trials in our life and those events and things that occur in our life to bring us to the point of desperation where we will humble ourselves before God knowing that we need to turn to Him. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says that while we were still helpless, that word from the Greek literally translated means utterly and completely without strength. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There have been many false religions created over the history of mankind. One dividing point divides them all from true Christian faith in Jesus Christ. They all present some form of works whereby man can earn his position back to God. Do this set of legalistic rules. Live this way. Do this. Attend church every Sunday. For me growing up, it was morning, evening, and Wednesday night. All of these religions that have been presented to present some way for man to work his way back to God are all false religions. The one true faith
faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We're helpless. We cannot satisfy a holy God. I am incapable of earning my own recovery in the relationship with God. As I was meditating on this position of Naomi and where she finds herself in this story, my attention was drawn to the dying thief on the cross next to Jesus. As I was thinking about the hopeless position that a person could be in, I thought there is no place of greater fear and utter helplessness than to be a criminal dying on a cross. Only a few hours left of your life and then you are ushered into eternity. That's a place of weakness. But Luke 23 describes that scene to us. Two thieves. One was joining with those other evil people beneath the cross and cursing and mocking Jesus. While the one thief calls out to Him and says, We are receiving what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he was saying, and the term there means that he was, he was repeating this, he was saying this to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here's an utterly hopeless man, unable to do anything else in his life that could reconcile his separation from God. And so he casts himself utterly upon his dependence on Jesus another man who was dying on a cross. My attention was drawn, we sang this morning, that hymn, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. Well, one of John Newton's dear friends was William Cooper, and they wrote hymns together. In fact, they published their own hymn book at one point in time. But he wrote one song that we sing, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood will lose all their guilty stains. And in the second verse of that hymn, he draws this comparison between us and that dying thief. He says, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. You see, we're no different than that dying thief. We may not be physically in that same position, and yet we are just as vile as he. I often have times when I am with short-term missions teams and we are overseas and we say to them our first night in their uh, orientation, at any point in time during this mission trip, you may be called upon to give your testimony. We may be at an AIDS hospital or, or in an orphanage or in some church setting and the director will inform us we have time for two testimonies or three testimonies and so we want you right now to prepare your testimony and to be ready to give it at a moment's notice. Now when I am on those trips with all these young Christian kids that have grown up in church, I will often hear from them. In fact, I'll say almost 100% of those orientation sessions, I've had at least one of them say, I don't have a testimony. I said, I think I know what you mean. I grew up in church too. And we often think we don't have a testimony because we haven't murdered anybody. We were never members of a gang. We haven't sold drugs. There's just no exciting stuff in our past. But you want to know what kind of a vile person I was? In second grade, I was in my Sunday school classroom alone 
while my parents were teaching the youth in the other room. And on that Sunday night, I looked at the memory chart that was there that had all those little stars on it. I don't know, do they still do that in Sunday school? It was to compel us to memorize the verses so we would get our star. But I had some blank spots in that row. And so I took the stars and filled them in. Because in my self-centered pride, I wanted to be recognized as having memorized all the verses, even the ones I hadn't memorized. But like all of us vile sinners, second graders to boot, I went one star too many. I memorized next week's verse. Well, I was convicted of that sin and realized that I had lied and I was dishonest and I was a cheater. And that made me separated from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's a sobering reminder to us of the total sinfulness and lostness and utter helplessness that we find ourselves in. But we find that God has provided a way. He has not left us hopeless. And even as in last week, as we looked in chapter 2, though we had come to recognize that for Naomi, hope was lost, we also recognized that God through His providence was dealing in her life. And even when she didn't know what God was doing, He was bringing a way and providing a way for hope to return. And so in our second point this morning, we find that God had provided a way and the picture of it is through this kinsman Redeemer. The Redeemer, though, must be a blood relative. That's one of the principles of the kinsman Redeemer. This principle was described in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. The the Leverite marriage, that uh, Leverite comes from the Latin liver for husband's brother, was provided as a strong option so that the name of the brother and the family inheritance would not be lost. Now, it wasn't a command, but it was provided as a way so that the welfare of the family would be looked after and a brother who married that had no children would be able to have the name continue. That was the great hopelessness. Elimelech's name would be ended. His family would be over. There would be no future for them. It demonstrated some brotherly love and affection on the part of the brother and required self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice to his own family and to his inheritance. Now in Ruth's case, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, we find that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a relative, a close relative. He was a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. He was possibly as close as a brother to Elimelech. And it says that he was a man of valor. That means that he had the ability to obtain and to protect his property. In fact, his very name means, in him is strength. But what is this comparison to Jesus Christ? Well, just as the kinsman redeemer needed to be a close relative, Jesus Christ needed to be a man. He needed to be a human. In order to redeem mankind from our helpless condition, Jesus 
became a man so that he could be our representative. That's what I described to my three-year-old son that night. I said Jesus didn't come to earth until later. God had created the world while Jesus was in heaven. We sang last week a song by Aaron Schust. It says that he would leave his place on high and come for sinful man to die. You counted strange, so once did I before I knew my Savior. To those that don't know Jesus Christ, we would wonder why would God, Jesus, leave all that He possesses in heaven and come to earth? Why would He do it in this way? Humbly as a son of a carpenter. Well, in Hebrews chapter 2, we're described and it explains to us. Hebrews is one of those books that explains the Old Testament to us. It takes all the different sacrifices and the the positions being done and, and tells us the fulfillment of these things and how they pointed to Jesus. And in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, we read this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, we're humans, we have flesh, we have blood, He Himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, He does not give help to angels, but He gives help to the descendants, descendant of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like His brethren in all things so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Here's what we find. That the very first people, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, God had said to them, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Sin equals death. But when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they did not die immediately. Instead, two animals died for them and they were clothed with the skin of those animals. I know we have enough hunters here this morning to tell us, how do you get the skin of an animal? Well, that animal needs to be dead first. And so we see that there was a substitutionary death. Over the course of the Old Testament, over and over, that principle is explained and and fortified in the mind of those young Jewish children growing up when the lambs are killed and that blood is shed because of their sin. Reminding them of sin equaling death. When Jesus Christ came to earth, He came as a human. He did not come as an angel. Those fallen angels we call demons have no hope for redemption. There is no salvation for them. They face only one future. Eternal destiny separated from God in hell that was created for their leader, Satan. But as humans, we are not in that plight. Because Jesus became a human, born in flesh and blood, and as such, could represent us and become our close relative to redeem us. So Jesus had to become a human so that He could represent mankind and pay the price for sin. By partaking of human nature, Jesus Christ was able to satisfy God's requirement on our behalf. He becomes as it were, a representative of us. 
There's a third comparison that we find here in the story of Ruth. And that is that the Redeemer must have the ability to pay the purchase price. Now, it doesn't do any good to show up and say, I'll redeem you. I'll buy your property. Wow, I'm flat broke. Can I, can I get some change from you? <laughs> you have to have the ability to pay. In the case of Boaz, we find throughout Ruth that he had the ability to pay. He had the ability to redeem. He owned fields and, and grains and he had maids and servants that were there harvesting and doing the threshing. He had the wealth to be able to go back and buy Naomi's property and say, I will redeem it and you can live and have a future here and be taken care of. Good intentions don't count in being a redeemer. Boaz had demonstrated that he possessed the wealth to redeem the property. In our comparison to Jesus Christ, we find that Jesus was the only one possessing the required payment necessary to redeem sinners. The problem that we face is that our sin has separated us and we are unrighteous, unable to earn our own righteousness back. The state of that is best explained by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7-10, through 10, in which he describes, of course, you know the Apostle Paul was a very good Pharisee, externally kept all the rules of the law, was very religious, in everything that he did. And yet, his description and the way that he looks at all of that religious accumulation is summarized in these verses. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We cannot earn our own righteousness. In fact, the Old Testament says that when we attempt to earn our own righteousness, it is only filthy rags. Because we do it with wrong motives. We do it for false pretenses. We don't do it in God's way. And we fall short. We cannot be good enough to go to heaven. And good people don't go to heaven. We must have a righteousness which is only available through Jesus Christ because He alone lived a perfect and righteous life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, these 15 short words in the Greek text explain to us in the clearest form how God does this. It says, He made Him. That is, God the Father, He made Him who knew no sin, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is how sinners can be reconciled to God. It is God's way for sinners to be reconciled. It is the only way that sinners can be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ is a substitutionary sacrifice and He has the righteousness that God can transfer from Him to us. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 says, "...being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus." What we could not do for ourselves, Jesus has done for us. That word redemption, the imagery behind this Greek word, comes from the ancient slave market. It meant paying the necessary ransom to obtain the prisoner or the slave's release. How foolish would it be for a slave or a prisoner to be standing there and for the auction block to begin and for the slave to bid on his own freedom? You possess nothing. You're a slave. You're penniless. You can't redeem yourself. That is the humbling position that we come before God as sinners. The only adequate payment to redeem sinners from sin slavery and its deserved punishment was found in Jesus Christ. It's as though we're standing before a judge and we are pronounced guilty. And then Jesus steps forward and the judge says, He will bear your penalty. He will pay the price for your crime. His righteousness and His holiness will be transferred to you. And you will be set free. Beautiful chorus to that amazing grace. My chains are gone. And I'm set free. We haven't earned that. It was because of the amazing grace that God shed through His Son Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This explains the meaning behind all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. All of the blood spilt of those animals could not atone for or pay the price for our sin. But the single sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect, righteous, Life paid what we could not pay. There are many other verses that we could look at that amplify what we have just shared. I'd encourage you to look these up later for your own personal worship. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, and Acts 20, verse 28, and Galatians 1 4, Romans 8 32. They all share that Jesus gave Himself willingly as a sacrifice to pay for our sins and to redeem us. <clears throat> we often sing a song together, a hymn. It was written in 1863 by Charity Bancroft, but given a new melody just recently, Before the Throne of God Above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great High Priest whose name is Love, whoever lives and pleads for me. One of the verses of that hymn summarizes this teaching. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. It also shares that behold Him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless, 
righteousness. My soul is purchased by His blood. We can be set free. We can be redeemed because Jesus Christ left His throne in heaven, was born as a human, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. We find a fourth comparison to the kinsman redeemer. Not only must he have the ability to pay, but he must also be willing to pay. He must be willing to buy back the forfeited inheritance. In the story of Ruth, when we begin chapter 4, tension rises. This would make a perfect movie. This is the point at which all the ladies in the crowd would go, Oh no! Because after that scene where Naomi describes to Ruth what to go do on the threshing floor, and I described in the first service, I don't know how many teenagers we have here, absolutely nothing immoral took place. She slept at his feet, covered by a blanket. They never touched. It was a custom to be able to do that. What Ruth was saying in that venture was, I am humbling myself before you. Will you redeem us? She's submitting herself to be willing to be married to this man. And in so doing, she's saying, I'm submitting myself to you to be redeemed. But in chapter 4, we discover that Boaz exposes that there's a closer relative. Now the love story, that romance deal, has already sort of started as we see how generously Boaz has treated Ruth and he's told her to stay and get water. And guys, don't you wish dating was that easy? All I've got to do is give you a cup of cold water, you know. <laughs> Not the whole dozen roses thing and all that other stuff. Of course, today that's so much easier. Now we can just send e-flowers. <laughs> oh, they're so lovely. And I'm waiting for the day when computers can spritz out a little rose smell there, you know. It's just the rose smell. But we see that has happened. But then we see that in chapter 4... There, there is another closer relative. And so Boaz goes and gathers in the city gates and he gathers the elders together and he's going to see what this closer relative is willing to do. And in the first six verses of chapter 4, that whole ceremony is played out for us. But when we get to chapter 4, verse 6, we hear these words, The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. He says, wait a minute. If I use my money to buy Elimelech's property, eventually that's going to have to be split and diluted with my own future children. And I'm going to raise up a child, a son that's going to be Ruth's son. And he's going to be Naomi's grandson. And that's going to be Elimelech's line. And all the inheritance in my family and the kids that I'm going to have in, for my own children, they're going to have to split all that inheritance up. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to risk that ruin. I'm not going to spoil my own inheritance. I'm not going to allow my inheritance to be diluted. And so he says, nah, you can have it. How is this in comparison to our Savior Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus willingly brings us into the family and shares His inheritance with us. If you look at those verses that I shared earlier, you'll find that a continuing theme that runs through the New Testament expresses that Jesus willingly laid down His life 
to pay the ransom for us. He came for that purpose. He knew what His place was in the redemptive plan of God. He willingly, selflessly, unselfishly paid the price and gives to us His riches. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says that the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We receive all the riches of eternal life in heaven that Jesus alone deserves. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, Yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. That reference to the richness of Jesus Christ referred to His pre-existing eternal state with God before the world was created. It, it refers to His possession of all power and authority and sovereignty and glory and honor and majesty. And in His incarnation, when He came to earth, He willingly laid aside the independent use of all of those attributes and He was born a humble servant, the son of a carpenter, and was willing even to hang and die like a common criminal on a cross. So Jesus willingly brings us and draws us into the family of God and shares His inheritance with us. Fifthly and lastly this morning, a comparison that we find between the kinsman-redeemer story in Ruth and Jesus Christ is that the Redeemer must be willing to marry the wife. Boaz had demonstrated great love for a foreigner. Ruth was a Moabite. In Ruth 2.21, Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. We see that Boaz is willing to be friendly to a stranger, but his willingness to marry her, you have to understand she's not a local girl. She's not one of the treasured ones. She's going to be a foreigner. What might people say? What is the rejection we face? She's not that perfect ideal model, is she? But in our comparison to Christ, we find that Jesus is portrayed as the loving husband of the church. The words of those songs and we stand beneath the cross and you look at the cross, do you realize that it is on that cross that Jesus is saying to you, if you will place your faith in Me, you will become like a marriage relationship, that perfect relationship between husband and wife wherein there is a love and a, and a concern and a compassion and a generosity. We become the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.25 we find it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. In the end of that redemption story, the culmination of the story with Ruth, we find that Boaz and Ruth are married. They have children. And she becomes one of the members in the line of Jesus Christ and an ancestor of Christ. The end of the romance was marriage. I just said that to say if any of you guys were listening. Marriage is not supposed to be the end of the romance. <laughs> but it culminates in a, a relationship that fulfills the perfect intimacy 
that can fulfill all of that which was just a pictured during the dating time. And so the story concludes with a wonderful realization that there's the fulfillment of the love. And in the same way, Christ is sanctifying us. We're an imperfect bride. And yet throughout the Scriptures, we're taught that Jesus is Himself perfecting us and bringing us into the relationship that we should have. We also find within this that Ruth is commended for her willingness to appeal for the liberate redemption. There is a true conversion on Ruth's part. Boaz in Ruth 3.10 said, Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. We saw in the first chapter, when Ruth was willing to leave her country of Moab behind, she was also rejecting her religion and rejecting the God of the Moabites and saying, I will serve Jehovah. I will go with you, Ruth, back to your people. But then she fulfills that by saying, not only will I come back to Bethlehem, but I am willing to submit myself to your kinsman redeemer that I might be a part of restoring the name and sustaining the name of your family and restoring the property to you. And so she fully commits herself to that. In relating to her earlier confession to leave her gods and her religion and to return with Naomi, Ruth has a true conversion since, learning that she now follows Jehovah. And Boaz, I don't know what Boaz was like, but he was obviously an older man, probably not necessarily attractive to younger Ruth, and yet because of her commitment to the ways and the practices that Jehovah God had revealed to His people, she says, I will submit to this relationship. And He commends her for choosing that which was better instead of that which maybe her eyes would have appealed to, what would have appealed to her eyes or what might have appealed to her, her flesh. That kind of brings us to a final practical element of the story. And that is that Ruth personifies excellence in every way of a woman. She becomes, as it were, a model wife. Now we find in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, that the prayer of every mother for their future wife's son is found in that chapter. Now in the earlier service, I tried to get all the young men who aren't married to stand up. And they were really timid about doing that. I think they were afraid I was going to bring them up and match them up with a girl right now or something, you know. But all I was trying to do was physically demonstrate who Proverbs 31 is written to. We often use it as a Mother's Day message. And and some of you maybe even cringed when you say the word Proverbs 31 because you live under such a weight of pressure, moms and wives, to feel like, I don't measure up to that. But you know what? Here's a little relief for you. Proverbs 31 wasn't really written to you directly. It was actually King Lemuel's mother teaching him what kind of a woman he should look for in a wife. And Ruth is the model of that. She was devoted to her family and she delighted in her work and she was diligent in her labors and she was dedicated to godliness. And you just go through the life of her and you find that she was the kind of wife that a young man should look for 
what we find is that Proverbs 31 is for mothers to teach young men what kind of girl you should be looking for. I'd predict to you if we taught our young men to do that, it would revolutionize the young women in our youth group because they all want to be found by a young man. And if a young man is looking for a godly woman, those girls are going to know, I need to be godly first. That's what the guys are looking for. And so the story concludes. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem hopeless. But in chapter 4 and verse 14, we read these words. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Again, we see the sovereign hand of God. She gave birth to a son. And in verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may His name become famous in Israel. And so Naomi who returned to Bethlehem empty with no hope humbled, unable to survive and supply for herself, she discovers that God has not left her without a Redeemer today. I would encourage you this morning, if you will humble yourself today before God and acknowledge your helplessness to redeem yourself and place your faith wholly and completely in Jesus Christ alone, He will redeem you. And He'll give you His righteousness and reconcile you in his, your relationship with God. And if you have indeed already come to Jesus Christ in that faith, then you can worship Him in knowing that He is indeed your wonderful, merciful Savior.